Welcome to Color Me Dead. This is a true crime podcast, and we talk about murder and fuckery most foul in detail while using the darkest of humor. If you don't like words like fuck and cunt, then you probably shouldn't listen. But if you do, then join us while we fuck your feelings. Hello. Hello. Helps if the mic is on if we yes, want to record. Does. We can talk oh, to this dumb bitch all we want, but it ain't going to record until <laughs> it's on. I'm deeply excited for you guys to witness something that Nikki edited and put together. We're going to put some finishing touches on it, and it's all yours. As much as our Patreons are badass motherfuckers, I feel like this needs to go to everybody. I, dude, it <laughs> blew my fucking mind. Welcome back to Color Me Dead. Killer Me Dead. Color Me Dead. Hold on. So we're going to do a couple of our plugs. Plug. Plugs. A butt plug? Would you like to be a butt plug? No, I would not. Would you like to have a butt plug or be a butt plug? If you had to choose. I would have one, not be one. Yes, I agree. I don't want to be in somebody's ass, but I'm not opposed to somebody being in my ass as long as it's not painful. I'm fucking against both, but I would rather have one than be one. Because not everybody cleans their butthole equally. No, butts are just a no-go zone for me. I don't know. Do you like slaps on your dirt button when no, you're getting I, like, No, I want somebody to just leave it alone. <laughs> Pretend like it doesn't exist. It is not there. It's not there. Okay? Oh, my God. Fact. Um, <laughs> so, thank you. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Don't cackle into the microphone. Don't tell me about business, devil woman. (laughs) (laughs) We want to say thank you to a couple of our sponsors. uh, Studio Sweden, who does our Swedish headphones. And we want to say thank you to our Alpha Dog Patreon, Tiffany Piper and her husband, Polly, for making it to the meet and greet. And they were actually the recipients of our giveaway. Yes, they were. For the earbuds. And she loves she loves them. She loves them. So go check them out. Studio Sweet. No. It's just. Studio. S-U-D-I-O dot com. Um, color Me Dead. Yep. For 15% off. Yes. Go get you some. Yep. Color Me Dead. All caps. All caps. I'm going to fuck up. Father Mucker. <laughs> Father Mucker. <laughs> Listen here, Father Mucker. <laughs> uh, How about the Purple Lotus? I got my fucking... Uh, body body farm. farm this weekend at the meet and greet and I haven't used it yet but I can't wait I did I did yeah. and it's fucking amazing now they have a new website guys so it's just www.thepurplelotusonline.com and again to get your discount code for that it's dead pod 15 to get 15% off your purchase uh, we've got the sweet sticky murder, we've got the blood bath, and now we have the body farm. And I used the body farm last night, which is a bath bomb that is created out of pear, coconut, and almonds. And it's amazing. I can't fucking wait. I bought two. I bought many. And the <laughs> the blood bath mm-hmm. makes your whole fucking house smell amazing. And if you let your children use it, like I did because I was sick of their nagging and knew I was going to get more... They smelled good for so long. I they really do. And that them. one's, uh, it's a, uh, fuck mouth, make words. Yes. Pomegranate, grapefruit, and patchouli. And it's fucking awesome. You and s- you smell like a clean hippie. A clean hippie. And mine is. When does that ever happen? Yeah, I don't <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Mine is sweet, sticky murder. Peach, honey, and vanilla now. Right. Yeah, it used to just be peach and honey, and they added vanilla 
to add a little extra flair. Flavor. And they made it prettier, too. It's all bright and pretty yes. now. I love it. Loves it. I can't wait to use my new one. Uh, thank you, everybody, that made it to the meet and greet. Um, we had an excellent time. The live video went extraordinarily well. We raised some monies. Uh, we still have some donations that we're going to be selling either uh, via Facebook or um, through Twitter and Instagram and uh, generate some more income for our... For the victim's advocacy. If you want to go online and donate to that, still it's www.aedv.org and you can donate in on behalf of us. Yep. On behalf of Color Me Dead Yeesh. to fight domestic violence and help all of those ladies. And men. And yes. menge. Minge. Uh, you can join us on Patreon. We've got new Patreon perks, which are t-shirts, water bottles, water bottles, lanyards, posters signed of us. People who came to the meet and greet got those. Yes, they did. Yes. Yes. Yes, yes they did. Yes. yes, they did. But at, along with extra audio, which has been very neglected right now because we've had so much going on all at once, but we will get back into that promptly. If you want to donate to our Patreon, it's patreon.com backslash color me dead podcast. You can do anywhere from $1 to $50. So this week we're going to give a gigantic fucking thank you to Kevin May who saved our asses. Um, who also does the podcast Mirth and Monsters. So we highly recommend that you go and check that out. It's uh, family friendly. My children think he's a celebrity of all sorts. Right. Well, and due to illness and a few other things and then the meet and greet, he graciously reached out to us and was like, let me help. What can I do to help? I yeah. was like, are you being serious right now? Because I'm about to load some shit on you if you're being serious. Because <laughs> Angel and I are both dying of influenza B, getting ready for the meet and greet, plus recording survivor stories and editing all that. So mm -hmm. he put this all together for us. And he did way more than what I thought he would. I figured, I figured he'd just give us a few killer couples and we would go take it from there. Fuck no. No, he, he, he definitely saved the our asses. the whole shebang. So we owe Kevin May everything. In the spirit of Valentine's Day, what we decided to do was couples that kill. Yeesh. Yeesh. Because we love each other so much, we're going to kill together. Probably one day, yeah. Yeah, probably. Probably. Except for we'll be a thruple. We'll be a killer thruple. A thruple. We'll be the first killer thruple. That was like thruple. the funniest shit I've ever heard. What? A thrapple. A thrapple. All right. We're going to start off with Ray and Faye Copeland. What better love story than somebody whose names rhyme? Rhyme? You got the rhymey, schemey thing? Ray and Faye. That means I need a Ricky. You is there a Ricky out there for me? <laughs> you know my middle name's Faye. Yes, it is. Yes. Yes. Spelled Angela just Faye. like dish. Just like dish. Do you have a Ray? Mm, I had an Uncle Ray. And Spencer's name is James, so you don't James you Spencer don't Mace. match at all. Nope. Sorry, a sorry, you can't Sherry. be a killer couple. You can't. You don't get to be a killer couple. That's okay. You're you're out. Most <laughs> killer couples are young, vibrant, energetic psychopaths. So in this case, it's good to know that they can be old as well. A new generation of killer couples. Because they were how old? Ray and Faye Copeland were 76 and 69 when they How were the sentenced fuck? to Are death. Are you still, like, managing murder at that age? Like, aren't you, are you guys, like, snorting Geritol off the back of That's the fucking toilet seats? That's what I'm wondering, like... In fucking trucker bath stops? I don't know, bath like... Stops? What the fuck did I just say? 
I bath stops. I don't know what a bath stop is, but I wanted a truck stop. And they a usually only have showers. So, Mary, <laughs> they were sentenced for the murders of five drifters that they had used for their own financial gain. Ray Copeland was born December thirtieth of nineteen fourteen in Oklahoma. He was a spoiled ass brat, and he wanted everything. And if he wanted something, he would do anything to get it. And he ended up staying that way for the rest of his life. Clearly. Yes. Like many others, Ray and his family struggled during the Great Depression that started in 1929. When Ray was just 14 and lasted till the the tail end of the 30s to try to make ends meet, he would turn to to true crime. True crime. Who doesn't turn to true crime to make all of their dreams come true? Maybe that's what we need to do. Fuck yeah. (laughs) He mainly stole livestock and wrote bad checks. He was finally sentenced to prison after stealing his own father's pigs and his brother's government checks. Well, but that's like, that's not actually a bad plan, like to steal livestock. Fuck, man. Like, if you can scrub the brand out or burn over it. Or get them before they brand them. Mm hmm. Get in there while it's hot. Fucking cattle hustlers. Fuck yeah, let's do this. I got you, boo. It was after he was released from a year long stint in jail that he met Faye. That mm. Ray and Faye became Ray and Faye. Ryan Bay. Ryan Faye. Faye Delia Wilson was born on August 4th of 1921 in Harrison, Arkansas. There's not much about her upbringing, but her and Ray met and married in 1940, not long after he was released from prison. It didn't take <laughs> too long for them to pop out four children. Jesus Christ. But they ended up having six in total. You know that your vagina is not a Pez dispenser. You oh, don't need to fucking fuck. like motherfucker jesus and there it's okay to have a couple years in between kids i mean nobody you don't have to have them all at the same fucking time no 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 god yep ray was described as a violent obsessive control freak that quote treated my mom worse than trash that's what his Mm -hmm. that's what their son said in one of their trials Faye was seen as a stereotypical conservative housewife who, no matter what, would stand by her man. She is a goddamn Stepford wife. Stand by your man. <laughs> so many kids, and it being the 1940s, money was again stretched so thin. So Ray continued to practice his illegal activities. Steal, steal, stealing. Steal, stealing. Wow. Steal, stealing. Steal, stealing livestock. The man loved a cow, and he was still passing bad checks. <laughs> Don't all men love cows? I'm just wondering. I mean, yeah, if they're rolling around half-masticated into their fucking mouths. Yeah. I mean, a few of them probably love them from behind, but we're going to fucking skip over that. We'll just skip over that for this week. (laughs) (laughs) It got to the point where they had to keep moving from town to town because their reputation was so bad, and it was never too long before he was convicted of fraud and was found out and had to roll, had to bounce again. Yeah. Yeah. During this time, Ray served more terms in jail, all for livestock livestock theft and bad checks. Fuck. Where the fuck does My he keep mouth... getting these bad checks? I don't know. Like, how many banks are just like, oh, you want to open a new account? Oh, okay, you... great. Here. Here's a box of fucking checks. So, as Ray was known as untrustworthy, he was now in a position where he himself could no longer buy or sell cattle. I wonder Why? why? He had to come up with a new plan, so what he started to do was hire drifters as farmhands. He would set up the drifters with a checking account, and instead of Ray buying the cattle, the farmhands would purchase them 
at over-the-odds prices again with dud checks. Ray would then sell the cattle as soon as he could to make his profit, and then the drifters, the ones who signed the dud checks, would drift on without a trace before the checks were found to be bad. This worked for a little while, but the police soon caught up with Copeland, and he once again went to jail. After his spell in prison, Copeland yet again carried on his criminal activities. All the while, Faye was playing at being the dutiful wife at home, raising the millions of children that they had popped out. Did you say Milligans? I said millions, but I'm sick, so it sounds like shit. Sounds like Milligans. I'm not sick. I'm just got leftover gaggy shit, gross shit in my face. You in know. the face. In your face. Boosh. In the face. <laughs> not in the vage. In the vage. This time, Ray stuck with the same plan as before, but added a new twist. He needed a way to make sure that there could be no connection between the drifters and drunks and hi- that he hired as farmhands, and no way they could give him up. This version of the plan, Dodgy Drifter 2.0, <laughs> continued up until after August, or up until August of 1989, when a self-confessed, self-confessed common gutter tramp and drunk named Jack McCormick phoned phoned a crime hotline. On the call, he claimed that Ray Copeland had tried to kill him and that he had seen human bones on the farm. Police finally tracked down Jack the following month in Oregon. He was wanted for cashing bad checks in Missouri. When he was taken in, he was willing to give up the details of what Copeland had been doing. Also told reporters that Ray had pointed a twenty-two rifle at him. Quote, I came close to being killed before I got out of there. Police were, of, of course, unsure of the, vali- the validity. 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 Of the drunk's claims, but after they looked into the history of Ray Copeland, both Ray and his wife were arrested on charges of swindling. The police also had enough to get a search warrant for the farm, which Ray said, which to Ray said, you'll find nothing on my place. Of Mm -hmm. course. Of course. I guess we'll see about that. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Armed with a thick load of bloodhounds. The police set out (laughs) to the Copeland farm. You know, could we just take a (laughs) moment to... Acknowledge some of the things on the feckload. Feckload. I'm going to start it's using that more. my favorite. I know, I've been starting to say feckload. Feck. Initial searches didn't yield anything mm-hmm. of interest. They had to broaden their search. They moved to a farm 12 miles away where Ray often did odd jobs. It was there that the bloodhounds struck gold or flesh, to be more accurate. Three bodies were found buried in the barn in the shallow graves. These were Jimmy Dale Harvey, Paul Cowart, and John Freeman. They later discovered another body in the barn, and this was the corpse of Wayne Wayne Warner. Wayne Warner. Wayne Warner. A fifth and final body was discovered in the well of another farm. His name was Dennis Murphy. All of these men were last seen working for Copeland, and all of them had passed bad checks at livestock markets. Weird. The other thing they had in common was that they all had been shot in the head with a twenty-two Marlin rifle. The rifle was later found in the Copeland home. The owner of the farm was quoted saying, He's dependable, a very hard-working guy. The farm, or, the farm owner, Firmerner. the farm owner, Firmerner. about the farm owner, told the reporters, very <clears throat> surprising to me that he had a time to get, that he had time to get into mischief. Mischief is apparently the word used to describe, used to describe the murder of five men. 
And these are all the guys that he... Yeah, he killed five men, and the and the farm owner says it's surprising that he had time to get into mischief. Mis- that's mischief? That's what we call mischief. Murdering five men is called mischief now. They had separate trials, and Faye was up first on November 1st of 1990. Her defense team claimed that she knew nothing of the murders and had been mentally abused by her husband for basically the entire marriage. Faye was found guilty after just two and a half hours of four counts of murder and one of manslaughter. That's a very quick turnaround for a decision, and it seems cold-hearted, but after hearing how shitty of a life Faye had, or considering how shitty, you know, hearing how shitty of a life she had had. However, there were two pieces of evidence that showed that maybe Faye wasn't an innocent or put up, (laughs) wasn't innocent or put up on, as was suggested by her lawyers. Yeah, like she wasn't as... That's my favorite part when we get to it, just so you fucking know. <laughs> the first item was a notebook that contained the items of the, that contained the, fuck me. Now you can fuck mouth make words. That. Your mouth? It, just betrayed you. It did. That was full blown That was full blown betrayal. betrayal. That was like some Twin Peaks fucking mm-hmm. dynasty shit. Mm-hmm. You went to the wrong side, mouth. <laughs> The first item was a notebook that contained the names of drifters that had worked on the farm, including the murdered men. Besides the names of these men was an X. Nobody else, only the murdered men. And they're like fucking ticking them off. Mm -hmm. Uh And Ray was illiterate, so they knew it wasn't him and the handwriting matched hers. So that kind of helped out her case in getting convicted. The second fucked up piece of evidence was my favorite. It was a patchwork quilt found in the home made out of the clothes of the murdered men. Well, that's gross. Yeah. These two items are enough to convince the jury that Faye was more than just a housewife with an arsehole twat of a husband. (laughs) But also... (laughs) But also helped in the murders. Some of Faye's family pled her case at the sentencing hearing saying that she... And they had no option but to do whatever Ray told them to do. This was where the, quote, treats her worse than trash comment came from. And one of her daughters, Betty Lou Gibson, said, He told us exactly what to do and when to do it. There was no discussion. That was it. Faye Copeland idolized her husband, Gibson said. She, like us kids, knew her place. She shut up. A psychologist also testified about the battered wife syndrome. That testimony was not allowed during the trial. It did no good. However, the fact of the notebook and the quilt was too big to notice after three hours of deliberation, Faye received the death the death penalty. Death? How about the death penalty with a TH at the end? Not an F. <laughs> Bitch, you gonna go deaf. <laughs> Here's your punishment. <laughs> you, you don't deaf. get to hear shit no more. You can mo. see everything that's going on, but you can't hear nothing. When he found out that his wife of so many decades had received the death penalty, Ray said, well, those things happen to some, you know? God damn it, Ed. Just like my Ed. My, just like my boy Ed. Just like your boy Ed. Funny how that works. Funny how that mm-hmm. works. When he went to trial on the following year, his defense team tried to portray him as a senile old man, and it did no good. He was also found guilty and received the death penalty, making them the oldest couple on death row, which is something to tell the grandkids. I agree. Ray didn't last long behind bars. He died the following year, which was 1993, at the age of 78. 
Fate appealed her death sentence and it was overturned, but not her conviction. Convictions. They stood. In 2002, she suffered a stroke that left her partly paralyzed and unable to speak. Ain't that some karma right fucking there. She was allowed out on medical parole and, the, and was placed in the Morningside Center nursing home in, I don't know what that word is, in Where? Missouri. Chilla Coffee? <laughs> Uh, Chilagothi? Somebody. I don't know. I don't know. Somebody in Missouri. Tell Missouri. Me. Missouri people, we need you. <laughs> Calling all help from Missouri. <laughs> okay, this sentence is the one that Kevin wrote, and it makes me happy. She popped her clogs the following year at the age of 82. <laughs> <laughs> also, Kevin's words, she left behind five children, 17 grandchildren, and at the time, 25 great-grandchildren and a patchwork quilt made from the clothes of five murdered men. So there we have Ray and Faye Copeland, the old-ass motherfucking murderers. Yeah, they really were. Yeah. How the fuck did they manhandle uh, that many All they had, uh, buried them. But the the daughter said that we do what we we do what we're told when we're told. So I'm sure the kids were in on it too. They I wonder who dug the shallow graves. But I don't know if they're shallow. Maybe the old fucker. I don't know. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. Did he have a backhoe? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Do you have <clears throat> a backhoe, sir? Um, I actually do have a backhoe, and I have a bobcat. Moving forward with our killer couples to commemorate Valentine's Day. We're going to talk a tad bit about Michael Bear Carson and Susan Carson, and these were the San Francisco witch killers. Yeah, that even I just like the way it sounds. Uh, the yeah. San Francisco witch, witch killers. Sometimes in the serial killer world, there's a smattering of limited sympathy for perpetrators, such as like Dahmer or even Ed Gain. 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 The San Francisco witch killers are not in this group. They were a couple of self-indulgent wieners who took their bullshit. <laughs> Did you say wieners? Yes. <laughs> Kevin put wanker. Oh, I like wanker. They were a couple of self-indulgent wieners who took their bullshit and their drug-addled ideology to the extreme and made other people suffer for it. Now, Michael Bear Carson was born James Clifford Carson in 1950. No apparent unbe like unusual weird behavior in his upbringing. Like, there wasn't... Like, his mom didn't molest him, his dad didn't beat him, you know, grandma didn't fucking stick spoons in his butthole, like, there's... Is that not normal? I don't know. Do they live in Utah? Yeah. In me? Yeah. So, there's not really anything that would indicate that he had a horrifying something, like some traumatic whatever, whatever. In the 1970s, he was married uh, and was a dad of one. He had a master's degree in Chinese philosophy. Now... That being said, meow. Meow. his only bad behavior was dealing marijuana from the house. So he was selling... Everybody does that. He was selling dime bags on the side. <laughs> now, his daughter, Jen, remembered a wonderful and caring father. But in 1977, something changed. James, who... Let's go back. Michael Bear Carson was James Clifford Carson. So if you hear Michael James, those are one and the same. You just call him Bear. 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 Let's call him Bear. Let's call him Bear. Said, anyway, in 1977, something changed in Bear from mild-mannered husband and dad to somebody whose, like, his behavior became more and more unpredictable. And it was so scary that his wife filed and then was granted a divorce. Now, 
Susan Barnes, who will become Susan Carson, she was born September 14th, 1941, and she was the daughter of an Arizona newspaper executive. Her upbringing was that of privilege and a real lifestyle of like luxury, country clubs, all the expensive name brand things that you could think of. Well, turns out Susan was also a schizophrenic. She was divorced, had a couple of children from her businessman of a husband. Now, it would seem that this life wasn't really the life for her uh-huh. because Susan turned from luxury to drugs and like mysticism. It's the opposite of rags to riches. <laughs> right. <laughs> riches to rags. So three years before Susan met Bear, she had taken mescaline and had a vision of the man she was destined to be with. And apparently that was supposed to be Michael Bear Carson. I didn't know. Was she like, I, I, I had a vision of Michael Bear Carson. I know your name is James, but change that shit. Yeah, but we're going to, now your name is Bear. <laughs> um, and it was at a Thanksgiving party that she met him. And she was like, that's it. That's the one. It's like you and that, Spencer. Oh, my God. That's I, the one. That's it. So their their meeting was described as a light, uh, like a lit match in dynamite. Oh. Like they caught on like a fucking house on fire. Oh. Now, they were obsessed with one another. And they fully embraced a lifestyle of taking LSD every day, exploring mysticisms, like getting in touch with fucking nature and the orbit of the planets. Who fucking knows? Hmm. Right. Hmm. So Bear's daughter said that the last straw for her came when she visited her father and Susan psychotically clawed at her to the point of drawing blood. Well. Because I I, I could see where I'd want to have to Maybe separate myself from my dad if his girlfriend slash wife attacked me and clawed me. Yeah, right? Who fucking knew? Finger quotes! I had asked her to rub my back before I went to bed, Jennifer recalled in an interview with Crime Watch Daily. She scratched my back and said she was going to free the demon out of me. What the fuck? That's happened to me before. It didn't work. That demon is still there. I have exercised the demon. What is this? These are my people. These are my people. Kyle, did you start a cult? (laughs) That's so sweet. So sweet. So more frightening to Jennifer than the actual inner like injury was that she, being Susan, went on to be like, "You can fool your father, but I know you're the devil, and I'm gonna get this fucking demon out of you." Hmm. How horrifying would that be? I, I don't like it. So I don't think I would enjoy it. Well, no. (laughs) I don't know. How hard is she scratching and how bad do I itch? Mm, Is it foreplay? What are we going here? I don't know. Something tells me this was not just... You know when I tell you to scratch my back and scratch Mm -hmm. me like you don't like me Mm because I itch really bad? Something tells me this was more than that. Who loves kitty? Who loves kitty? (laughs) You love kitty? Scratch my butt. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So by the time 1980 came around, James's ex-wife was so worried about him tracking her and their daughter that she moved every six months and cut off all contact with any acquaintance that was also involved with Michael Bear Carson, also known as James Clifford Carson. And that was, she, she did all this to reduce the risk of them being found. Yeah. Which... I I get that. Yeah. 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 She, she's still worried all the time about Bear and Susan 
finding them and oh, coming into contact imagine. with them. Fuck. It wasn't long after James and Susan that Susan claimed to have more than one vision. Okay. Weird. I'm I'm gonna assume that was the fucking LSD, but whatever. I don't know. I don't I don't speculation. Know. Speculation station. You don't think that masculine and that LSD told you to do some stupid shit, oh, do no. you? Oh, no. It was all natural. Just my brain. No. I, no, no. I, well, what I need for you guys to understand is that LSD makes me smarter, you see. LSD makes me see my future. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so, the first one was that James should now be called Michael. And that's where the name change would actually take oh, place. That, ma- that so totally makes sense. Yeah. Fuck. <clears throat> And this was after the angel who had defeated Satan and that he should also have the name Bear. So he became Michael Bear Carson and she was Susan Bear Carson. Fuck yeah. Because that fucking makes all the goddamn sense in the world. They lived off of Susan's trust fund and they kind of made their way around Europe doing a bucket load of drugs, primarily LSD. Great. And twisting the teachings of Islam to their thinking. So they were taking a, a form of religion and turning it into what they wanted it to be. Which Their a lot drugged of people, up asses thought it should be. Right. So I'm sure that there was a lot of misinterpretations. What? As, misinterpretation in religion? Are you how kidding? How does that happen? How I've does that never happen? heard of such a thing. First and fully, they ignored all of the things that were forbidden. Like... I don't know, hallucinogens, alcohol, all the things in Islam that are poison to your body. Yeah, right. Funny how that works. What these two fuckwits did was created their own extremist views to fit their own ideals. Basically, witchcraft, abortions, homosexuality. We kill people for that. All right. Miri. Now, this was a quote from Bear. Well... Michael Bear, not Susan Bear. I guess I should start differentiating that now. now we have to fact. Shit. So anyway, this was a quote from Michael at a really bizarre press conference after they were arrested. They called themselves vegetarian Muslim warriors. Muslim? Muslim. Muslim. I said it wrong. Whatevs. How do you know you're saying it wrong? You could be doing it right. Who knows? You don't know. You don't fucking know me. You don't know me, bitch. Yeah, <laughs> they they basically took the views of Islam. Fuck, I gotta get my shit back together. They took the views of Islam and they fucking ran in so many different directions, dude. It was like watching three year olds try to fucking run track because they're fucking <laughs> here, 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 here. Like like where I like my dicks. <sighs> so they described themselves as vegetarian Muslim warriors, and. What they actually were were very dangerous drug fuel fucking spunk bags. <laughs> <laughs> Who were out for their own, like, pleasures and gains. Um, they weren't trying to be anything more than little fuckholes. Yeah. Sure. After a year of traveling around Europe, they made their way back to America and moved into an apartment in the Haight-Ashbury neighborhood of San Francisco. This neighborhood is famous for being very prominent in the counterculture movement of the 1960s. So, a creative place known for music, art, and a shitload of drugs. But after the summer of love ended, fucking hippies, (laughs) the area became more known for, like, hard drugs, lack of police presence. And it was at the tail end of a time when, like, they based, that's when the Carsons committed the first murder. Oh, good. Okay. 
it went from beautiful, prominent neighborhood mm. to shitty little post-hippie murder fest. Yeah. Why not? Basically. They lived with a roommate named Karen Barnes. Oh! <gasps> Whoa, we know you. Hi, Karen. Hi! I didn't we actually, know you we, were in on this shit. God damn it. <clears throat> we actually have a friend named Karen Barnes. Um, it spells a little bit different, yeah, but whatever. Yeah, different, but... She's uh, the admin of the History Dweebs page. Yep. And if you guys haven't listened to that podcast, definitely go on to... Do so. Do so. Tim Scott. It's Tim, Chuck, and Brandy. Yes. And they just did a BTK. So go check that out, because we super enjoy... But Karen Barnes is on their page, so hey. 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 <laughs> um, so Karen Barnes, who was no relation to Susan. Now Karen was a twenty two year old aspiring actress from Georgia, and sadly, in March of nineteen eighty one she was brutally murdered by the couple. Oh good. Yeah. She had been stabbed over thirteen times and her head was bludgeoned with a frying pan. The two Fuck. killers Yeah. So the bears that's what I'm going to call call them the bears the the fucking bears the two killers wrapped her body in a blanket and hid her in the basement where it was found in a pool of blood by a plumber who was checking on the property now Michael and Susan were you know of course high on the list least sorry I was eating are you on a least are you on a least check it least a least now they were on the high list of suspects that kind of evaded being questioned and being cornered Mm. for this murder. Yeah. So, the investigation by the police was kind of like, oh, well, you're not here. I guess we'll just fuck it. Uh, Unsolved unsolved murder. Whatever. Move along. Put her on the ground. Yeah, nothing to see here. Move along. Mm -hmm. Keep it going. Keep it moving. Quit rubbernecking. Keep your arms inside the ride at all times. Hands and feet to your sail. <laughs> Fiak. Fiak. So the bears, the pair of bears, <laughs> had fled to a mountain hideout near Grants Pass in Oregon. And that's where they kind of, they, they laid low. Like they were on the DL till 1982. And that's when they uh, they went to Alder Point in California and they found places to work on a marijuana farm. There was a man who worked there named Clark Stevens. For a reason that I'm unable to find... Him and Michael had a dispute that simmered and grew into Michael shooting Clark twice in the head. Why not? That's what we do when we disagree. There's not any information about the actual fight. It probably doesn't even matter. They probably don't know because they're fucked up. Probably. Now, they tried their best to get rid of the body by burning it and burying it Fuck. on a chicken fertilizer. Do you have any idea what burning hair and skin mm-hmm. smells like? Of course you do, because you have a fucking third-degree burn on your body. Yes, I do. Yes. 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 Gross. Uh. Two weeks later. The body of Clark was actually reported missing, and the search found his badly burned corpse. Both Daddy Bear and Mommy Bear were once again the main suspects, and it had been two weeks, but they were once again... Gone. They, gone like with they, the wind. Yeah, they had disappeared like a fucking fart in a car. Just <laughs> gone. They're there for a minute. They're really strong. And then they gone. And then they gone. They so, gone. She gone. A search of their belongings after these two little fart nuggets disappeared into the fucking blowing wind yeah. would yield I'm many... Like your fart. Well, more than my fart. 
Amongst other things, a manifesto called a cry for war. Twisting an ideology is bad enough, but to add a manifesto on top of all of that, and they basically were like the ultimate asshole dickheads just making up shit as they went. Now, part of the manifesto had a list of celebrities and politicians that they shot, they shot, they thought should be killed, including Johnny Carson uh-huh. and Ronald Reagan. Wow. Do you know that fucking Ronald Reagan actually took a fucking shot during one of his mm-hmm. presidential... Oh, yeah. Yeah. And fucking lived. I know. Apparently you have to do it in the head. After they decided that Johnny Carson and Ronald Reagan should die. Yes. Yes. All of this had taken place in about May of 1982. Now, Daddy Carson, Bear, was actually picked up by the L.A. police in November of 82. After he had been seen hitchhiking by an acquaintance, in a move that quite possibly would have saved lives, the police fucked him up. Fucked up. Not fucked him up, but fucked up and freed him. God. Before he was even questioned. What the fuck is wrong with them? One of the things that he left behind in his rush to get the fuck away was his gun in the police car. Oh my God. How the fuck does such a thing happen? I don't know. Like, how did he get his gun in the police car? Yeah. They are not very fucking thorough. Apparently no. they were high as fuck, too. I I don't know. The final murder happened less than two months later. Now, see, the couple had actually been hitchhiking along a stretch of highway nears, 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 Bakersfield. So anyway, they were actually picked up by 30-year-old John Charles Hellyer. John was a UPS driver, and he wasn't working that day, but... In a typical thought process in a drug-addled head of Susan, she proclaimed that John was a witch and that he had to die. Well, duh. So he stops to do a good deed. Yes. Yes. And this fucking psychopath cunt mm-hmm. is like, you're a witch, 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 and decides he has to fucking die. John Charles Hellier, who was the UPS driver, has now been declared a witch by fucking Susan Bear Carson and decides that he's got to die. Well, an argument and a physical altercation happened in the car, which was still moving, by the way. Like, they're fucking, they're traveling at fucking highway speeds. And the car stops. Michael and John struggled with the gun. And John had, like, a gun that John had kept under the seat. Oh. So, the car stops. Michael and John struggle over this gun. All three of them left the vehicle. And Susan Bear Carson then proceeds to stab John. Why not? Michael gains control of the gun and in broad daylight on the side of a Nampa Valley road, shot him in the fucking back and killed him. Oh, good. In the mi- in the middle of fucking broad daylight? Well, he was evil. We had to get rid of the evil. Evil weech. Fuck. So, John's brother Danny was told by a UPS driver at the scene that John's last words were, help me, brother. Oh. oh. And as Danny was also a UPS driver, he thought that maybe John mistook the driver for his brother. Yeah. Or maybe he was just like, we're brothers in brown, fucking delivering packages, help me out, brother. Yeah. Either way, that's fucking horrifyingly sad. That really is. The Carsons got back into the vehicle and sped off. There was a high-speed chase, they crashed the car into a ditch, and they tried to escape by running into the woods, but that's where they were like, the fucking words... The police, police, the police apprehended their asses. Apprehended them. Not that they're gonna fucking do anything with it. No, because you know we fucking took them in three times now. 
we've let him go without questioning them while he had a fucking gun in the back goddamn seat. Mm-hmm. Those fucking cops are lucky they made it out alive, mm. to be honest. Well, like, they he don't have the, the devil. They were not filled with the devil, so they got to live. Fuck me. All right. So, Michael Bear Carson and Susan Bear Carson both said that they would confess to the murder on the agreement that they would be allowed a press conference. Now, this, for some loopy-ass fucking reason, was granted. Oh, good. Yep. So, they got to fucking say their pieces out loud. I know that... Pieces. And not the hairy ones. (laughs) I know that trials are expensive, but to give oxygen to these two scuzzy motherfuckers just to encourage their dumbass behavior is beyond... Any kind of value or, like, I can't believe that they would put that much time and effort into letting these people fucking speak. Then they're allowed a five-hour-long interview with KGO-TV, the San Francisco Chronicle, and the Homicide Detectives, during which time the couple talked a load of bullshit. 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 Bollocks. (laughs) Thanks, Kevin. A load of bullshit. Now... Some of what was mentioned before, like the vegetarianism, the Muslim war, things like that was some of the shit that they like went on about. Now, in a bizarre claim that they said they were pacifists. Right. Right. Said they were pacifists, you know, because pacifists believe that people who believe in wars and violence and fucking murder are just bad people. But then they went on to explain how they fucking murdered people and how it was okay for them to do it. Jesus So Christ. once again, once again, taking those fucking ideologies and twisting them into what they thought was acceptable. So they claimed the reason that they killed Karen was that she falsely converted to their version of Islam. They also claimed that Karen had been draining Susan's health and yogic powers. <laughs> so for this she had to be stabbed 13 times and have her head caved in with a fucking frying pan michael described susan as a yogi and a mystic and the knowledge of the past and present future made her more special susan was a yogi so she should be called yogi bear yeah, <laughs> uh, I Get see what it. you did there. <laughs> pick a nick basket. Oh, pick it! Oh, hey, boo boo! <laughs> Let's go that? get ourselves a pick a nick basket. <laughs> <laughs> the last reason that they gave for the reason they murdered Karen was it was the right time to do it. It was the right thing to do during a rainstorm. Each time Susan said Karen should be killed, the thunder would clap. More words of wisdoms from Daddy Bear would be inserted there. So apparently nature, yeah, yeah. they decided, now the bears, Yogi Bear and (laughs) Michael Bear, Michael Bear, have decided that nature told them it was the right time to kill Karen Barnes. The reason they gave for murdering Clark Stevens was a lot more straightforward. Susan claimed that Stevens had sexually assaulted her and called her a witch. Now, there's only her word for this. There's absolutely no proof. So in a very dangerous game of... I know you are, but what am I? Hmm. They fucking murdered him. Wow. So there's that. Now you after lose. <laughs> right? I know you are, but what am I? So after this sideshow of a press conference, and it's well, truly, and over, there followed a move that even a blind, deaf grandmother could have seen coming. <laughs> they both changed their minds and changed their pleas to not guilty. So it went to trial. Now the trial, in the words of Jennifer Carson, Michael's daughter was a circus. Obviously. They Obvious. changed it. Yeah, they changed it. After their they 
after they gave an interview saying Five they hours. did it. Fuck. Five hours. Do they change their do voice? Do some to... more drugs, Beard. More LSD! All <laughs> the LSD! <laughs> so she says, obviously, it's, a, it's turned into a total fucking circus. But there was no surprise at the verdict. Both were found guilty. Murder for Kevin Barnes, or Kevin, murder of Karen Barnes, both received 25 years. Later trials would find them guilty of other murders, and they received 50 and 75 years. Fuck. Right. Jennifer Carson had also said that she suffered years of nightmares, obviously, finding out what her father had done, especially the severe nature and the coldness of the murders. The last contact that she had with her dad, she was 22. She went to confront him in prison and to also say, like, her final fucking goodbye. Bye, bitch. Goodbye. So, this was the man that used postcards to send to her to keep in contact while he was on his drug-fueled fucking trip around Europe, but would also reach out to her to be like, I miss you so much. Love you. Wow. Yeah. In what would have been a shocking and ridiculous event, both of these shitburgers were eligible for parole <laughs> due to overcrowding in the prisons. What the fuck? Because they had each served over 25 years. A petition was started by a family because the victims, and also Michael's daughter, to prevent their release, were able to, to gather and garner enough attention to be like, no, fuck that, you're overcrowded. Let the pot smokers and That's the petty theft exactly. fucking come out and, like, get a redeemable chance at fucking life. But those fuckheads stay there. Exactly what I was going to say. Keep Get the potheads out because they are too lazy to do anything. Right. What? And keep How your much damage can we really and... do? I mean, we sit around and fucking eat junk food and play fucking video games. Come on. That is a crime, you bitch. You bitch, bitch, eat a duck on your ho-ho. That's probably a fucking crime, too. I'm sure. There was not just an abundance of press coverage that took place in the United States for this, but it was all over the UK as well. Now, luckily, the release never came about. Michael contacted his lawyers and had them cancel the hearing. He said, no one is going to parole me because I have not and will not renounce my beliefs. He stood by his actions and for whatever reasons, he decided to fucking murder people with Susan. Now, Susan never even bothered meeting with a lawyer and mm. didn't show for the hearing. And by all accounts, also stands by her actions yeah. for killing the UPS driver, John. It was their because religion. Because he was a witch. Yes. And I killed somebody for calling me a witch, but he's a witch, so I killed him. Yes. Hallelujah, amen. Don't you go call around calling me a witch. Aloha snack bar. <laughs> Eesh. that's probably how their thoughts went with all those fucking drugs I'm sure neither of them have shown any remorse for anything that they've done and are likely going to die in prison I fucking hope I hope you die in prison you cunts yak let's go to our third set our, our third, third and, and final. final well shit well look at us girl <laughs> uh, third and final set pair of killers Mish. couples that love each other very much 
James Gregory Mar Gregory 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 <laughs> James Gregory Marlowe and Cynthia Kaufman. They were just a right pair of cunts. They were indeed. I know this story. <laughs> they are fuck. 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 Cynthia Kaufman was born on January 19, 1962 in St. Louis, Missouri. She was born into a well-off family. Her dad was a St. Louis businessman, and the whole clan were very devout, strict Catholics. Catholics? Catholics. It changed when Cynthia's father left when he when she was six years old. This caused a great bunch of bullshit because he's Obviously, the one... Obviously, Catholics don't fucking divorce or leave their fucking spouses. Well, that, and he was the only one bringing money into the family, so now they have no money. It got so bad at one point that her mom tried to give her and her two brothers away. That works. People? That's, that's not how this goes. The hospital is a safe haven. If you do not want your children... Take them there. Or the fire department. Take them there. Leave them there. Let something happen good there. Maybe they can find a good family there. Stop no, trying real. to like, you get can, them. Hospitals, fire department, mm -hmm. fire station, um, churches, no. most no of the churches. No questions asked. Nope. You drop them off, they take your baby. Did you see that one, that lady that in Arizona that gave birth in the fucking bathroom and left her baby wrapped oh up in like god. a... Oh my god. Like at least give like a coat him... Yeah, I remember And left that. him in the fucking bathroom and was like... Here's a note. I can't take care of this kid. He needs somebody better than me. Okay. That's, I, I get it, dude. Like, if you're not ready to be a fucking parent or if you're in a bad way, great. Walk into the hospital and hand it to a nurse and be like, bye. Yeah. God, that drives me crazy with all, like, we hear so many stories of this, of people trying to give their kids away. Go to, go to a safe haven. Trust me, there are people that want your babies. There are. To God. Anyway, the family managed to to get by, but at the age of 17, Cynthia got pregnant. Due to the strict Catholicism of the family, an abortion was in no way an option. So, by the age of 18, she was married to the father, Ron Kaufman, and had a child named Joshua. Unsurprisingly, it didn't take long for the marriage to break down, and after two years, they were separated. Go figure. Cynthia decided she needed to change and chose to move to Arizona and settle there. She left Joshua in the care of Ron with the intention of coming with the intention of coming back when she was settled. Of course she did not. She did not come back. No, I did I wouldn't expect her to. No. Here, take this kid. Well, I go If find... a mother if a mother abandons their kid, yeah, I yeah. I think the chances I and I'm I, this is my speculation because I'm no in no way saying that I have all the answers You're not from a, my armchair. You are not a professional. I'm not a professional. What the fuck have we been listening to you for? I am no more than just an armchair fucking professional. Well, that's a professional. That's a profession. That <laughs> you sound like one of the cone heads. That's a profession. <laughs> <laughs> sensory rings <laughs> uh but no i think that the chances of a mother coming back after that like if they ditch their kid 
I think it's like 50-50 whether they come back or not. Yeah. And I don't know what the actual statistics are. I could probably look them up really quick, but I'll just sit here and talk like I fucking know what I'm... Because I am a professional. Because I am an armchair professional. Motherfucker. Bitches. Fuckers. (laughs) James Gregory Marlowe was born in 1956 in Cincinnati. His mom was a teenage sex worker. Great. She taught him many things, such as how to smoke dope, how to do LSD and heroin, and also his first sexual experience. Wait, what? His first sexual experience. Was with his mom? Uh, She taught him, so I don't know if that means it was with her, but... Oh, God. Okay. Fuck. With such a beginning, it's not overly surprising that he got into crime at a young age. Starting easy before graduating to rape and home you invasion. You don't fucking say. Uh-huh. And robbery at knife, knife point. Good. Good. <laughs> he was in and out of prison, and due to a tattoo he had of a wolf, he ended up with the nickname the Falsum Wolf. This was one of many tattoos that Marlowe's had. That Marlowe had. Ones that stood out were his Aryan Brotherhood tats. Kaufman and Marlowe would meet in in the most romantic of scenarios, jail. Yay. Cynthia had been seeing a half... When the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie, that's amore. Cynthia had been seeing... When you hear bars go clink, and you piss in the sink, that's amore. Alright, sorry. Cynthia had been seeing a happy-go-lucky fuckwit called... Doug Huntley. And the two of them had been arrested on drug charges, meth, and had been found in their car after they had ran a stop sign. Okay. Oh, sorry. Drug charges and meth had been found in their car after they had run a stop sign. Oh, okay. If you got that shit in your car, pay attention to the fucking laws. Just saying. The charges against Kaufman were dropped and eventually the whole case was as well, but in the meantime, Huntley was being held in jail and in there at the same time was Marlowe. Marlowe was in for theft of his sixth wife's car. Six. Six. His. So, but then what about lucky number seven? <laughs> yeah. Hey, 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 that could be you. Oh, he was on his sixth wife and he was only 30. I know what I'm trying to say. Sixth wife at 30. Yeah. Good. Doing better than I am, bud. <laughs> It was during Get some ass. Ass. It was during a visit to see Huntley that Kaufman noticed Marlowe, and much like the San Francisco witch killers, it was obsession at first sight. Go figure. There's something that brings out the romance in the girl like those jail lights. That nothing says loving like telephone <laughs> kisses. <laughs> I can pretend like I'm kissing you through this glass. No more window love. <laughs> I can feel your lips against mine. Oh my god. <laughs> One day when Kaufman was home, she received a visit from Marlowe, and after hanging out and smoking some weed, Huntley no longer had a girlfriend, and a month later the pair left for California and headed to the border. The reason they headed in that direction was that Marlowe had family down there, and Cynthia needed somewhere to stay. They would live with the relatives and sponge off them until they were told to leave. That sounds like a fucking downright amazing plan to me. Before they did, they would sell valuables and move move to the next relative. 
Because why not? Well, and, they had to. It's not yeah. like they had a fucking choice. Duh. You made them do it. Eventually it became... This is a, your fault. <laughs> you made me do this. Eventually it became apparent that the couple were nothing but but trouble, and soon their reputation preceded them, and they would be turned away from their family with angry words or minimal cash or get the fuck out. I'd rather just hand him money and be like, here, bye. Um, I know yeah. what you're here for, so here's the money. Leave here's me the 50 fuck bucks, alone. Get the fuck out. Mm-hmm. They had worn out all their welcomes and ended up having to sleep in the woods. The connection between these two netters was undeniable, but the dominance only lay with Marlowe. They wanted to live a full life and on their terms, and they shared love of drugs and sadomasochistic sex. I'm sure that his mother taught him that love of sadomasochistic sex. Marlowe was the master, and Kaufman was the subservient slave. An example of this, one sex game ended with Marlowe holding a pair of scissors to Kaufman's face and letting her choose between having her eyes gouged out or having her hair cut off. That's a little fucking extreme. You think maybe that game was not really a game designed well. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like the guy that made the rules. I don't know I don't know about you guys, but this doesn't seem very fair. <laughs> It seems a little culty, man. A little culty. <laughs> little culty. Spoiler alert. She can still see. Funny. She, yeah. she told people she had to shave her head due to triggers. What else? Marlo was violent towards Kaufman. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know what triggers are. You don't have to shave your fucking head. No, you don't. Like, say lice, bitch. Get your shit No, together. triggers are under the skin. I know, but I'm saying she needed to say lice. Probably. She probably said, yeah. Yeah. Say less. Next time. Or just say that your fucking partner's a... A cunt bag. Psychopath, and you mm-hmm. fucking decided that you wanted to be able to see the fucking trees of green. Oh, yeah. Marlo was violent towards Kaufman out with sex. He would lose his temper, which would lead him to beating and biting. But he would always apologize profusely, and he would always be forgiven. The master-slave relationship was taken further when a few days later they were married in Tennessee, both sitting astride a Harley Davidson, no less. Marlowe tattooed, Marlo tattooed Kaufman's ass with the words, Property of the Folsom Wolf. That is fucking love right there. He also tattooed the word wolf around her wedding finger as a ring. The couple once again found themselves broke, but they got lucky when they were offered $5,000 for a contract hit. They were going That's to... It? Yeah. Five grand? Five grand. Well, then you don't have any money. Five grand's a fucking shit ton of money. Fair enough. They were to kill a drug dealer in Kentucky. This was in July, but by October, they were once again without cash and back in California. That's budgeting. Yeah, I mean, come on. They made $5,000 last till October? Come on. They got this shit. Goddamn extreme couponers. <laughs> this is where they would take their next victim... Sandra Neary was 32 years old, and she would be snatched by these two evil fuckers as she used the ATM. She was strangled, raped, and murdered before being ditched on a hiking trail. Two weeks later, Marlo and Kaufman took the life of a 35-year-old Pamela Simmons. Pamela was reported missing in Arizona. Her car was found abandoned near police headquarters, but we don't know if they ever found the body. 
It, there's, we can't find anything. I even I looked it up too. I can't find anything about her body. It's believed that she was using a curbside ATM. Yuckers. Well, that's kind of their. So based on everything that I looked at, that was kind of like their source of income. Or was... the wet bandits. <laughs> <laughs> Why you gotta do that, Mauve? <laughs> Tell you not to do that. <laughs> No, but that was like, that was their way of generating income. Mm, get the ATMs and mm -hmm. kill the bitches. Yep. Sick. Fine. 20 year old Karina Novus was taken November 7th from a shopping mall in broad daylight. Mm -hmm. Karina had told friends that she was going to use an ATM and she wasn't seen alive by her friends again. Nope. Court transcripts tell that Marlo and Kaufman took Karina to the home of one of their friends, Richard Drinkhouse. Drinkhouse had been a motor in a motorcycle accident and was an invalid. He was told by Marlo that they needed to use his bedroom because they wanted to get the pin from Nova so they could use her debit card at the ATM. Drinkhouse, knowing that Marlo had a gun and as well like he was aware of his violent tendencies, along with his own injuries, didn't feel safe leaving the house. Marlo's sister Veronica arrived at the house. Marlo came out of the bedroom, told Veronica he, quote, had someone there, and cautioned her not to freak out on him. Marlo said she needed... Well, that's, that's fucking comforting. Hey, yeah, it really is. Hey, there's somebody here. Don't, Don't freak, freak out. out. Mm -hmm. Like, that's... Why wouldn't you just be like, there's somebody here. Yeah. I need you to go. Can you not? Can Don't go in there. She's naked. Pussy out. Yeah. Not, I'm in there fucking... My friends are torturing people. Yeah. I'm murdering someone in there, so could you kindly avoid that room? Would you want to do me a favor and smoke outside? Yeesh. 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 Marlo said he needed something from the car. Kaufman and Veronica went outside and returned with a brown tote bag. About ten minutes later, Kaufman drove Veronica to a nearby 7-Eleven store in, in Novus's car, leaving Marlo in the bedroom with Novus. Drinkhouse heard Novus ask Marlo if they were going to take her home. Marlo answered, as soon as they get back. Veronica testified that during this period, Kaufman did not appear frightened or ask her for help in escaping from Marlo. Drinkhouse likewise testified. Kaufman appeared to be going along willingly with Mar with what Marlo was doing. Right. Duh. Veronica left not long after Marlo said he had the number. A bit after that, Marlo, Kaufman, and Karina also left, and that was the last time anyone saw her alive. Her body was found eight days later buried in a shallow grave. The police finally caught a break when the Taco Bell manager found Karina's checkbook and driver's license in a dumpster. Alongside these were papers with Marlo and Kaufman's names on them. Fucking geniuses. God damn you scholars. God. On the same day, Lionel Murray was kidnapped by these two shit buckets. They took 19-year-old Lionel. Is that how you say that? Lionel? Lionel to a, mountain, to a mountain lodge in Big Bear City, where she was raped, tortured, and strangled to death. Her body was found follow found the following day by a maid. Her body was found with her head submerged in a bath full of water and towels had been torn into strips wrapped around her neck. The police also found a sheet of paper that had a practice signature of of hers. <clears throat> Obviously, Marlo or Coffin trying to forge her signature for future use. Obviously. Checkbook, oh. I'm sure. Yeah. 
The credit cards of her of Lionel had been used by Kaufman and Marlowe, leaving an easy to follow trail. Because they're smart criminals like mm-hmm. that. Super clever little mm-hmm. twats. Before Fergus. Oh, Fergus. Yeah, twat. Yeah, twat. Before long, the couple were found walking along the highway wearing clothes that they had stolen from the dry cleaner where Lionel worked. They were arrested without incident. It took close to three years for this case to come to court, and during that time, it will come as no surprise that the pair turned against each other. But I mm. thought it was true love. They love, they love each other. Soulmates. They would each blame each other for being the ringleader. Coffin's lawyers were also claiming that she was suffering from battered wife syndrome, suggesting that a that the accumulative that the cumulative abuse that she had suffered in the hands of Marlowe had left her with an attitude of constant fear that if she were to actually stand up to him or to deny him his needs, then her life would be at risk. However, the evidence piled up, and her attitude in the courtroom and during the trial and in general was seen, and it proved futile to her defense. No, that was kind of like the final fucking nail yeah, in the like coffin. Yeah, like, call mm-hmm. whatever you want. Yeah, you can say whatever you want, you're but you're a, a twat. twat. Yeah, you're a twat, so. You're a total, Goodbye. You're a total twat, Fergus. Listen, <laughs> Fergus. <laughs> you're a twat. Your pish flops are showing. <laughs> They were both found guilty and sentenced to death. This made Kaufman the first woman to receive the death penalty since it was reinstated in California in 1977. In 1992, they were also found guilty for the murder of Lionel Murray. This gave Kaufman a life sentence without parole on top of the death sentence, and Marlowe received a second death sentence, which means that if he becomes a Buddhist, he's fucked in the next life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love a Christ. That was funny. <laughs> 30 years after receiving the death sentence, they are both still on death row. Death row. I don't know why death. I can't say I, death today. <laughs> death is not the word of the day. Death is. Death. You're going to be on death row, bitch. Death row. You can't You're hear shit. You're the next shit. one to go deaf. You can't <laughs> hear shit. No. This for your crimes. You won't hear shit. You won't hear. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, but also, before we wrap this up, with all of our couples that kill, let's say thank you to Nancy Abercrombie, who uh, donated a stun gun for the uh, meet and greet. If you guys would like to reach out and get anything from her, there is an, uh, oh, there's a fucking, fuck now. Fuck mouth, make words. The betrayal. I know. Fucking every goddamn time. There's a website that you guys can actually go and visit. And uh, it's mydamselpro.net slash P-R-O-N-A-N-C-Y. You can also reach out to her, Nancy Abercrombie, by phone number for uh, any kind of self-defense, stun gun, pepper spray, Keychains. There's a lot of things that she provides. I and have sells. one of their keychains. The little it. kitty cat mm-hmm. with. Yeah, dude. Well, I just have. Yeah, my. Well, I have a stun gun and I have the pepper spray too. I have the pepper spray from Damsel and Defense that my mom got me. Uh, her phone number is three. Damsel and Distress. What's it called? 
Damsel in Defense. Damsel in Defense. I yes. got it down wrong. Uh, 303-960-7343. Um, so I definitely encourage you guys to reach out to her if you're looking for any kind of self-defense items. And um, if you want to get any of our merch... Our merchandise. Our mer- We're just going to fucking, you know what, one day we need Kevin to just record an episode for us. Yeah. Merchandise for us. Merchandise. You go to coloredmedeadpod.threadless.com. What did I just turn into? I don't think that I'm was Scottish anymore. I'm not 100% Scottish sure. Anymore. Coloredmedeadpod.threadless.com. Free shipping over 45 bucks. Also, right now, I can't remember how long that is, but they're doing free shipping for 45 in there. The code is on the website. It's a big, long, weird one. Well, and they've we've also got Redbubble. Yeesh. Redbubble.com slash people slash color me dead pod. And they have almost the same shit, but different. Only use drive up ATMs. And stay, stay out, out of chalk, chalk lines. lines. Goodbye. Goodbye.